0: You're nervous, holding the phone in a cold sweat. The client is mad. They're on the phone threatening to axe the project and not pay for the work done so far. Everything had been going so well. They were totally chilled out, and so were you. They wanted their site redesigned, sounded simple, and you didn't really bother with writing anything down because, well, it just felt like everyone got it. Everyone was chill. And now they're not. What they actually thought they were getting was a rebrand on top of that redesigned website. Now your stomach is in knots because you know you screwed this up. Nothing was written down and it's their word against yours. Now I'm just stressed out saying this. So if you want a whole bunch less stress, keep listening to this podcast to discover why scope statements are so important, how to write them and use them for your project. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Ashton, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Welcome to the DPM Podcast. We're on a mission to help project managers succeed, to help people who manage projects deliver better. We're here to help you take your project game to the next level. Check out the digitalprojectmanager.com to learn about our training and resources we offer through membership. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. So today I'm joined by Robin and Robin is one of our resident DPM experts and conveniently she lives just down the road from me in Portland where I read recently she likes emojis, list making and puppies. So she's a chef turned project manager with more than 10 years project management experience in agencies and startups. And she's also actually about to become more available to take on contracting work. So if you're looking for a contract PM, track her down on LinkedIn. But hey, Robin, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Ben. Always good to be with you.
0: Now, I want to start actually with going back to that list making and puppies. Have you made a list today
1: I have. I actually, um, this is, I'm such a dork. I have one list for today's top goals. I have one list in my planner and then I also have my Google calendar. So apparently I need three different lists at any one time. And what you can't see behind me is my crime wall of post-it notes.
0: Oh, and that's like the, the back catalog of lists
1: um, things in different categories that I am trying to achieve personally and professionally, or even, you know, just different content ideas for you.
0: There we go. So, uh, do you have a puppy with you as well?
1: I do have my eight year old puppy. Um, but obviously I, I love dogs way more than cats and everybody can hate on me for that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> emojis so, i feel less enthusiastic about lately but i think that was just a phase <laughs> that was so
0: last year <laughs> yeah i don't know so, so obviously um post-its lists are a big deal for you some you find them inspiring but i'm i'm curious as to where you get inspired what's what are you reading um what what are you uh consuming right now to to get inspired and stay inspired
1: oh This is a great question, and I feel like I could talk for like 30 minutes about this one, Um, but right now, obviously, the digital project manager is a constant source of inspiration. I took a a short pause from being as heavily involved in that Slack uh, community, and now that I'm back, I I kind of missed a lot of my friends there, and that's been a a complete joy, Um, but also locally through my friends and my community but i do want to do a shout out to one of a really great portland community groups that i've been involved with through the years is called pdx wit which is portland women in technology and i just really appreciate that community that's been organizing really well put together skill building events mentorship and access to jobs and communities and they've really taught me a lot about diversity and inclusion and so i highly encourage all of you to kind of create something similar to that or check them out at pdxwit.org
0: that's cool and um what are you trying to get better at like we've all got a bit more time on our hands at the moment (laughs) and um i feel like i'm being inundated with a master class and fitness and all kinds of things but um as you're as you're thinking about you know what's inspiring you what are you being inspired to do are you, is there anything that you're particularly working on? Uh, a new hobby you're taking up, a new coding language you're, you're um, diving into? <laughs> <laughs> what are um, you, uh, what are you doing?
1: Well, recently I haven't worked in Drupal for like, I don't know, seven years. So kind of catching up where that, that uh, <laughs> is at. But outside of that, I think this, and Ben, you've known me for years. This feels almost like a real true, secret to share out loud with you is that I'm thinking about actually getting different certifications. Oh. So like actually getting my PMP or actually taking, I think it's like, you know, safe. Uh, yeah. I don't even, I forget yeah. what it is, but like kind of exploring if that is something I want to do uh, moving forward, just kind of being more exposed to those methodologies versus kind of remaining fine with where I'm at.
0: That's cool. Well, good luck with that one. And um, anything else that you've discovered recently that is making your life more awesome? Is the little things right now? What What Mm -hmm. is making? What's bringing a smile to your face? What's bringing you a a moment of joy?
1: Uh, This is also embarrassing. I feel like I don't know why I'm so embarrassed today, but I have really been enjoying like working from home. And in the background, I put on this one station on YouTube TV which I have a subscription to and it's like a hundred percent surf channel and living in Portland, like, you know, it takes me an hour and a half to get to the beach. I'm not a surfer. I don't know anything about surfing, but I've really enjoyed watching apparently ambient surf TV championships (laughs) in the background. And now I'm obsessed with so many different people like Andy Irons and the Kelly Slater debacle. And it's just, I've learned a lot from it, which is the weirdest, latest thing, making my life. Awesome.
0: Who is your favorite surfer?
1: Definitely Kelly Slater. Do
0: you know what? When I was Pretty in basic. Hawaii, well, yeah, that was a good, that was, that was a safe option. When I was, um, I, my claim to fame is I went surfing with Kelly Slater in Hawaii. Kind um,
1: of. What is, you can't just say kind of, that doesn't work.
0: Well, <laughs> we were coming out the water and he was going in the water with his girlfriend. And we we crossed and said hi, Kelly. So we went surfing with him, right?
1: Yes, you were yeah. in the water okay. at the same time.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's just close it sounds to like you were on
1: some big waves though. If you're like out there with Kelly, so
0: yeah, yeah, it was Hawaii. So um, yeah, my claim to fame. So I mean, let's get back to this serious topic, moving away from the beach, back to scope statements, <laughs> and um. Let's start with why. I mean, I tried to set the scene at the beginning with why we should care about scope statements. Projects go wrong. There are misunderstandings that happen. Um and scope statements can save our bacon. But I mean, let's start with your why. Have you got any horror stories of not having scope statements like I talked about in the intro? Um why do scope statements uh get you excited?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think just even hearing your intro moments ago, I was really thinking about how um, that trauma came back to me and how it will always come back. So scope statements are super important because it's, it's where you ensure your team and your client has a clear understanding of what the overarching requirements are. And ultimately, it's going to define how you're going to fail and how that would work the thing we're trying to protect here is opening yourself up for, um, you know, conflict with the client, with your internal team, and then also just trying to align everybody and eat, you know, avoid litigation there.
0: Yeah. So we are trying as much as possible to clarify and unify our understanding. And I think what scope statements are great for is codifying that, um understanding and i think sometimes we can think hey we're all on the same page we're all friends here it's often worse actually when you are friends uh because everyone can just assume that everyone else is understanding one another and then there are sneaky words like you know update or refresh uh that are really ambiguous and what the scope statements do is reduce that ambiguity in the gray areas and make things a lot more black and white
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, even in the 10 years I've been working in this space, those terminologies change, even on, you know, a quarterly basis, right? Um, And I think before we really talk about like what they are and how they are, I just kind of want to share that, you know, writing a scope statement is really underappreciated in this role. It's the driest thing about the gig. And typically, this is, the hardest part to kick off your project. Like nobody wants to have ownership about it. It's your thing to do. But I just want to state that personally I love it because, well, I mean, I'm pretty nerdy. But putting in this time at the beginning of the project ensures a really efficient um, future onset for that project.
0: Definitely. So I mean let's talk about it at its most basic for people who are like, hold on a second, what is a scope statement? How would you how would you describe a scope statement?
1: Yeah. So I think there's this wide swath of different terminologies that we can use, just as you were mentioning, Ben, about you know refresh versus redesign, right? Um, and how are they different from the SOW? So Ben, I think we can go back and forth about this, but how <laughs> I understand a scope statement is simply a way to describe the work you're agreeing to deliver. And it describes you know, at the most fundamental elements, the constraints or limitations of the project, right? So we're going to talk about what's being delivered, what's not being delivered, assumptions about what you're going to deliver, and then any additional clarifications.
0: Yeah. So the scope statement, yeah. So the scope statements we use to describe the work there, we're defining the scope and we, and we co-define the scope. We're saying, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're not doing. Uh, and sometimes if we can't define what we're doing or not doing, we're at least describing the process and what that process can look like. And people sometimes ask, Hey, well, do I need a, uh, do I need a statement of work or what does an agile statement of work look like? And I think this is a, this is a big challenge, right? We still need to define what we're doing and what we're not doing. But instead of defining the deliverables, what we can do is. Target that outcome we're trying to get to, and the process that we're going to follow to get or try to get to that outcome.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, piggybacking on that, there's some basics you should follow, right? And we'll talk about some tips for that. But there's not just one template that every digital project manager is following there's following there's not just one thing that everybody's doing and you can't just copy and paste it so every business is different every project or program is different and what we're seeking here is just consistency to cover your back right or as I put it in that article your bacon right because you need to protect your team you need to protect that business um, initiative
0: yeah. And I'm I'm wondering if you've got any stories of how you didn't define the scope statements as fully as you needed to or should have and um, and what happened?
1: Well, I think this is a slippery slope because (laughs) I have in previous roles been advised not to put a lot of detail in because that could potentially open you up for legal uh, litigation, right? If you put in too much, right? So we can kind of fight back and forth a little bit more if it's more gray area. But where I've found um, my most success is putting in as much detail as you possibly can. So whether that be waterfall, whether that be agile, like define everything you know within that statement, and then cross check that with the client. So um, we can get into more horror stories later. But I think (laughs) over the years of experience, like you're not going to do it perfect sometimes. And you're going to have a client that figures something out different. And it's just about navigating that landscape and, and putting in that time up front as best you can. Um, But
0: yeah, we've all Uh, got horror stories. Yeah. So my horror story is when I, uh, I think I've shared this before, but we were, um, we were working with a large consumer electronics client and creating some custom animations for them. And the client wanted to make sure that we'd bought the rights to the animation so we did and um, i think we bought a, like a 5 year all media buyout so we could use it the animations in whatever um way we wanted for 5 years which was you know this was just we were just creating this this animation for a single campaign and so you know we only needed it for a year max so we thought oh we'll just buy it for 5 just because just to, in case we wanted to reuse it next year and later down the line the client comes back to us and says, "Hold on, like I asked you to buy the rights for this and we're like, "Yeah, we did and he 's like, "No, but we need them like in perpetuity, like we want to be able to use them forever in any in any media, in any format, and we'd only bought it for five years, which became a huge sticking point because then <laughs> the uh, the animation studio who produced this for us well knew that they had us, um, they could charge us anything. So um, so they, they tried to, and in the end, this whole actual client relationship became completely undone off the back of this one scope statement, which wasn't fully defined, and that was just around how long the buyout would be for the animations from the third party. And uh, it, yeah, it undid the whole client relationship um, just just from that one one scope statement so it can be these things can have massive massive consequences when there's this small under, misunderstanding um that can really rattle people sometimes and sometimes people just pick fights because they can um which was the case with this they didn't really need it you know in perpetuity but that's what they wanted so um they uh, they threw their toys out the pram so these are these are things to take really seriously because not only because can they sync the project, they can sync the whole client relationship. But let's talk about actually writing these scope statements uh, and the process that you go through. how do you how do you actually make them up? How do you decide how to write that scope statement? you talked about you know not making it too specific um, yeah. and the, and the advantage of that is it leaves a bit open to interpretation, which can be good or you can be really detailed and try and cover every possible scenario. So how do you go about writing the state- scope statements?
1: Well, three things before we even talk about that. One, I am not a lawyer. I do not provide formal legal advice. So I'm just talking about my experiences, mainly from my career in advertising, right? Um, secondly, Don't see Robin. Yeah, I am not a lawyer. Uh, number two, I would just I want to send you some love about that, Ben, because like, ouch, yep, I totally know those perpetuity terms. And I think, you know, that contrast between one year and five year and perpetuity is really dramatically different. And I think, you know, there was a healthy lesson in that. Um, What I want to go back to, though, is kind of, you know, within our environments that we work in, scope statements are a lot of different things, right? So we can call them estimates, we can call them the hold darn scope of work, we can call them a contract, we can call them a proposal, like it's essentially like a nest of things that go within several different formats. So some of the names I've used before is statement of work, contracts, proposal, scope of works with like we talked about, but they are not an NDA an MSA an ICA or an LS or an SLA. And you can hear more about that in my article and what those definitions are. So basically just trying to point out that this isn't the only thing you need to be providing with your client. Right. It's just a component of that. Definitely. Okay. So back to your original question. Um, I think you were just asking, how do I make them, write them? What's my process? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, knowing me, there's a few different approaches. I typically have used templates that's already provided by my in house team. Luckily, I've been provided a lot of um, really great workplaces that already have a template on hand. Um, I also do keep versions of previous SOWs in a personal folder so I can pull back and see, you know, how did I craft, you know, a scope um, or a statement that referenced a branding project versus a digital project versus a refresh (laughs) or a redesign. Um, But obviously I think the digital project manager is a great resource for that. And Ben, I know that you wrote an awesome article about writing a statement of work um, that does include a template so you can kind of source a lot of uh, details there too.
0: Definitely. Cool. So, and I think this idea of having, developing your own bank of scope statements that you can, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, um, is super important because the way that we talk about delivering, um, work is actually, you know, normally the parameters that we're having to describe. If we're doing a rebrand project are going to be the same project to project. We're going to be talking about how many concepts we're developing, how many rounds of revision we'll be doing, uh, what that client interaction and feedback, uh, loop might look like. What the final deliverables might be. Actually, the kind of, if we're, you know, producing the same kind of deliverables time and time again and going through the same process, then the scope statements that we're writing can actually be uh, recycled quite easily. So actually in the post, if you've not checked it out yet, go to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash project hyphen scope hyphen statement, and you'll see a whole bunch of scope statements that we have. Some of them are generic. So some of them you can actually reuse and recycle for your own projects and just change, change the names out. Um, and then some of them are more specific. So the more for the more specific ones, we have to have this understanding of what the project is, but some of them like scope statements that we can recycle project to project are scope statements, like defining um, who's going to pay for, or who's going to be responsible for licensing imagery or videos, or who's going to be uh, what the turnaround time might be for, uh, a client to uh approve a piece of work or review and, and provide consolidated feedback or how many how many rounds of approvals there might be. So um some of these scope statements, you can just create a bank of them. We've got a whole bunch on the article that you can uh, just recycle. Some of them we're going to have to be uh, more specific about. But let's talk about good and bad scope statements. We talked about there's two ways I guess of doing this. Either you can go well, maybe it's a continuum of a loose scope statement versus a very specific scope statement. Now, uh, it's not necessarily good and bad either one either end of that continuum. But what do you think makes a good or bad scope statement?
1: Ooh, that's a big question. Um, but I don't know. We could we could spend hours talking about that, right? I think. What I do really appreciate what you were saying earlier, though, is like to lean on that bank of your different um, scope statements in the past and also lean upon others in your uh, current workplace or reach out to different friends and ask if they have something similar that was super effective so that you're not always starting from scratch. Right. Like lean on this DPM community, um, lean on on people so you don't have to start all over. Uh, But I can tell you some five things you can do. To cover your bacon. Do you Tons want to hear that? Ben?
0: Yeah, go for okay.
1: it. Okay. Um, and this is just coming from my personal experience. But what I find really successful is to number one, define why. I typically like to call this part the overview. It just feels a little bit more formal, but this is essentially the first section where you're defining the work and defines why this project exists or program, why it's happening and what it will achieve, right? So we've all had overviews in our essays growing up. We're using that here in present day as adults. I typically like to delegate this out to an account manager if you have that. So they can go run that back to the client and get those KPIs that we can talk about. This is not where we need to narrate everything. I keep it short and concise, but we just need to frame up essentially that value statement that will outline the rest of why we're doing this work and why it's important that we can level back up to this why.
0: Yeah. And I think this uh, starting with the why is super important just because if all else fails, this is kind of our backstop. If we can demonstrate that actually, well, we delivered on the original intent of, and and it delivers on that. Why? So if it's about, you know, fundamentally the, what we're trying to do is build something that, you know, increases the number of subscribers. Well, the client might not like the way that we executed it, but if ultimately We can prove and show that, yes, it does exactly that, that we are building the subscribers and and that works. Uh, If we can align at the most basic level on achieving that why and reaching that outcome, then it provides us with some common ground to work from.
1: Absolutely. And I think that can be worked in all project methodologies, right? Of how we're tackling this, right? You need to always know why we're proceeding forward. And I found it's really helpful to kind of put at the top of a Slack channel, or um, in different team uh, documentation as well. And so kind of craft that own that and then share it with everybody um, to align the teams. Uh, The second tip I have for you, though, is to outline the approval process. And this may seem really basic, but I feel like this is always where in the past things have gotten a little spicy. So I'm highly encouraging you to at least craft basic language that details out the approval process for deliverables. So for example, when should the client give us feedback? Who is providing that feedback and how should it be delivered? Obviously you can start basic within this statement for now, but know that it should be expanded upon before everything's moving in motion. I think Ben and I—we both have had a few headaches here in obtaining feedback and how, um, and we can also talk about how we tuck this under dependencies and assumptions in the future. But it's best, I found, to always talk about feedback and that approval process with the client verbally, and then have written format for that within that statement.
0: Definitely, yeah, that's that's solid advice.
1: Um, I okay, moving on to the third tip is. I would highly suggest, champion, that you identify what you're actually going to be delivering. And typically, this will be the biggest part of your scope statement. And this is a wild west, right? It could be super detailed and expansive if you're doing more waterfall. It could be more process focused if it's more of an agile approach. But what it's going to do is it's going to list exactly what people are getting, when they're getting it, and how they're getting it. I come from the standpoint of trying to be detailed, but as I know, everybody doesn't agree with that, but I am super passionate about rounds of review, content entry, migration, hosting and configuration, formal QA. also, you know, Ben speaking to like image rights and then ultimately deployment.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm also a firm believer in, hey, if we can define this, let's define it. Let's try and block in the canvas. Um, and this is where I think if you don't know exactly what you are going to deliver, um, I would adopt the sandbag approach, which is, Hey, we know at the very least we're going to deliver this. And then we can at least level set on that understanding that at the very least we'll deliver two concepts. If you think you're going to develop four, um, say you'll develop two and commit to doing two, because it might turn out that for whatever reason you do only deliver two. Um, if you think, Hey, you can build, you know, up to five components within the page, well, let's define five and let's agree to five, even if you think, well, it might be actually six or seven. So sandbagging can be a good way to find some common ground that's the most likely, um, that kind of aligns with that most likely outcome. And that means that you don't need to say, hey, well, we're going to deliver seven modules. Uh, But you say, hey, we'll deliver five, and then, then you can surprise and delight um and make sure that you're not over committing yourself and i think that's the key part to writing the scope statement when we're defining the deliverables we just don't want to over commit ourselves because the danger is if we say seven and it turns out we only needed five um then the client might turn around and say well can i get a refund please because you actually only ended up doing five
1: and that's absolutely happened to me um I think also it can really help control what's happening internally with your team. So you may have someone, you know, design and development or two, um, you know, really, I love that intersection of creative and development, but Sometimes they disagree on that workload. So your designer right. might go crazy. Your UXer might figure out, your strategist might say, okay, we need 20 templates, right? And so by kind of having these upfront discovery conversations, um, we, we can try to mitigate that internal churn as well, um, not just on the client end. Definitely. So Ben, you were talking, alluding to the fourth tip that I have, which is to define what is included, and what's not included. And typically I put this in a different section outside of what those deliverables are. So after I've identified like, yes, you will get um, three modules, for example. Um, This is definitely where I have an exhaustive list just to try to protect what I know and what I don't know. Um, I call it boundaries if we think about it in personal terms. Um, But this is where I'm covering my bacon. So first up, I like to have dependencies and assumptions is technically what I like to call it within these statements. But here's what you spell out where nobody's going to get away with. So this section may repeat back on a few things above in your statement, such as written feedback and who it should come from and that relationship. But in addition, it could be like, for example, if if there's it, multiple deployments, if they decide they don't want to move forward with the deployment, this is where you outline, like, if there's a second, if you push out the deployment date, there will be a change order issued, right. because that's going to take additional time for the team and reshuffling your resources or people to get there, Um which is important. And in my article, I I list out some exhaustive examples for you. And then secondly, I love the section called exclusion statements, or as I call it, out of scope. And this is everything that you think that they might ask for, and you want to make clear that you're not providing. So Ben, going back to that uh, image fees and perpetuity, um, this is talking about CMS training documentation, hosting your font fees, digital style guide, like it can go on forever, but you're just yeah. trying to protect yourself that you're not on the hook for providing that because you didn't talk about it.
0: Yeah, or maybe you did talk about it. And that's where um, these misunderstandings can, can occur. These are also called negative scope statements. So we're just listing out all the things that we're definitely not doing. And I think what can sometimes happen in that process of defining the project brief uh, and defining the project. It might be that the client comes to you and says, hey, well, we want this. we want to revamp our website. And they just, they talk about re, re rebranding as well. But it turns out that actually in the, in the statement of work where you're out at, they don't have the budget for a complete rebrand. Um, so you need to include a scope statement or a negative scope statement that says, we will not be doing any rebranding. And that will, then you can refer back to it and say, Hey client, I know, you know, you seem to think that we, uh, we 're going to do a rebound, but we did write it down here in the scope as a scope statement to say we will not be doing any rebound work on this project so it 's worth thinking about as we 're trying to write these negative scope statements as we 're trying to anticipate what are all the things that the client could think they might be getting but they 're not getting refer back to all those conversations you 've had and think what what were some of the things that what were some of the crazy ideas that they threw out there and make sure that you include them in your list of things that you 're not doing
1: I love that. Yeah. And I don't think there's any right way to do this. It's just more of kind of like trusting your inner gut and listing out what are all the ways that this could go poorly. And I've had um, managers in the past that are like, Robin, you've written down, like, you catastrophized essentially (laughs) way too much. And so I think for me, like kind of mapping out what could go wrong and then summarizing that a little bit more concisely is also helpful because that's, that's me, you know, being in my craft, thinking ahead, trying to mitigate that risk at the very beginning stage of the project. Um, I think we're ready to move on to the fifth and final yeah. tip, which is a little controversial potentially, but I like to make a scope statement matrix. And so I came up with this a few years ago, and I think it was passed over to me from somebody else too. But what I realized is that I have spent hours in the past in an active project, just going through version histories of documents or files or Slack or email or sketch files or God forbid code, just to figure out exactly what we sent, what that format was, and it's not clear. Like I've wasted a lot of project hours doing that. And so I've learned that at the onset of delivering that, that scope statement, I can do the work up front and just keep track of deliverables. um, Just so that we have a clear understanding of how we're executing against that statement.
0: Yeah. So the idea of this is that as we, because sometimes these deliverables that we're producing, uh, that statement of work, we want it to become a, a document that's not just a one time thing. Uh, but one way, this is one way that we can actually make the statement of work relevant, uh, throughout the project. So by putting those deliverables into a matrix, um, and kind of tracking with them, reminding the client or the stakeholders that, hey, this is a document we're taking seriously. This is a document we're using. That can be a great way to, to track things as we go. Uh, and to keep the keep the document and the conversation about it alive.
1: Correct. And Ben, I would even go so much to say is I have not always shared these matrix matrixes with the client directly. Sometimes I just keep them uh, within the project file structure. Right. Internally. But I kind of like bring it out when that um, contention potentially comes up so that I have all the resources needed to mitigate that that issue immediately instead Definitely. of spending the hours in the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this all sounds like plain sailing, right? If you if you follow these uh, tips um, and just use your scope statements, all will go wonderfully well. Uh, right or wrong? So tell us what some of the biggest <laughs> challenges you've had or where, where do scope statements go wrong?
1: I think where things haven't worked is essentially... It's not about always following, quote, quote, the rules, but you need to be flexible about approaching every project individually, right? I think what hasn't worked for me is if I'm like, you know, I think back to years ago and I'm like, okay, well, this is the template. I always follow the template. And I think we just need to be more flexible about how we approach every project and understanding that clients are on different levels of how they want to approach things. Um, And that's usually where it's, it's, it's been a problem, Um, just my own learnings. And so I think over the past years, I've been more flexible about it, but also more rigid in terms of what we actually are signing up to do.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges is, is in, yeah, really, I think in, in just defining how definitive you're going to be, like how well, when you start the project, when you're trying to write a scope statement and you're not entirely sure what you're delivering. Uh, it can be tricky because you can be tempted to, uh, well, you can overreach and you can say, hey, yeah, right at the beginning of the project, well, we think we're going to deliver X, Y, and Z. And then it turns out after the discovery phase or after the design phase Mm -hmm. that the Z part of the project is kind of redundant. It's not needed or not necessary, or you can't afford it. So I think it's always worth thinking about your planning horizon. And it's good to write scope statements, but not to overreach. And maybe split your scope statements up into, uh realistic chunks that are within your planning horizon. So if you're going into the discovery phase, just try and get away with writing uh, the scope statements for the discovery phase. And then say, hey, as part of this phase of the project, we're then going to develop the next uh, part of the project, the scope and the scope statements uh for uh, the craft phase or the design phase of the project. So I think overreaching, I think, is potentially the biggest challenge that I see Uh, when we're developing these, because we think we know stuff, we think we can anticipate what's going to happen, but so often we can't.
1: Absolutely. I think another challenge just kind of like came to me right now is when you get a sign off on that scope statement from the client, but they haven't involved all of their stakeholders on that. And that can really detriment your project. And so just having that verbal walkthrough and kind of alignment session where you talk about that, I think is super helpful.
0: Definitely. And I think, I mean, I think what's important there is is the verbal walkthrough, because I think what we don't want clients to do as well is to sign it off and to have not have read it themselves and not to have understood it. We want them to understand what they've committed to, because what we don't want is this isn't, we don't want this to be a legal document. We don't want this to be, we want this just to be to facilitate a conversation, to level set on expectations. So we don't ever want it to come to, well, let's go to court and discuss what this statement of work actually really means and have a judge or a jury interpret whether or not it was delivered. That's not the point of this. The point of this is all about alignment, to get on the same page so that it's a conversation tool so that when we talk to the client, when we talk them through these scope statements, we're not trying to trick them. Um, We're not trying to kind of uh, cheat them out of the work, but we're just trying to level set. We're trying to get on the same page so that when we do the work, when we deliver those outputs, uh they're going to be happy with the outcome uh of the project and, and the things that we're producing. So try not to think of this as a legal document, because if it goes that far, then you've failed and probably You've everybody's going to lose money. You're probably going to lose the client. We don't want to get to that point. What we want to do is level set on expectations so that everybody is happy with the way the work is done and um, the way the work is being produced. So that, that's my uh, that's my big takeaway, I think, from our conversation today.
1: Yeah. And Ben, I think there's nothing more amazing than that feeling where you can actually copy paste that scope statement into uh, a legal yeah. binding document and and just making sure that, yes, that word is my favorite one, aligned um, between the client and internal parties.
0: Definitely. Let's get some alignment. So, Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great having you with us.
1: Thank you for having me
0: and i'd love to know for the you who are listening what are your tips and tricks for scope statements do you use statements of work where do you put your scope statements how do you produce them what works what doesn't let us know in the comments let us know your fail stories and wins and if you want to learn more and get ahead in your work come and join our tribe with dpm membership head to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash membership to get access to our slack team masterminds, mentorship templates, workshops, office hours, AMA sessions, ebooks, and more. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and stay in touch on the digitalprojectmanager.com. But until next time, thanks so much for listening.